This is the Bulls Talk Podcast. I'm Casey Johnson, joined today by my NBC Sports Chicago teammates, Rob Schaefer and Tony Gill. Coming up on the show, Rob, Tony, and I will break down the disturbing games, three and four losses by the Bulls at home. We'll also get into whether or not it's a bad look for Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan to leave the bench early in game four loss. And we'll look ahead to Alice Caruso and his potential availability for game five. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, here we are, assembled again, Motley Crew, Rob Schaefer, Tony Gill, Joining yours truly, Casey Johnson. We are recording this after what we promised would be the breakdown of the two home games in this first-round series against the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, breaking news, they did not go well. The uh, Bucks came to Chicago and not only won two games, but did so in uh, authoritative and uh, impressive fashion, taking a 3-1 series lead, heading into Wednesday's Game 5. We have not done any pre-pod planning, which I kind of like. We're flying by the seat of our pants. So I'm actually going to keep this conversation mostly centered on this series. I feel like we can get into big picture off-season stuff whenever the series ends. Psst, it's probably going to be Friday for Friday's time. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I, I want to kind of keep the focus on what we saw this weekend, what we expect um, going into Wednesday night, and also touch on a couple of news items. In fact, let's get those out of the way. First, um, Alex Caruso is in concussion protocol. Billy Donovan said his status for game five is uncertain. So we will not know uh, whether or not he's going to be playing probably until game day. Let's start there. Um, We'll start with you, Rob. Do you think um, Alex should even play? I mean, assuming he passes tests, should he even play? Um, Or where do you kind of stand on a less than 100% Alex Caruso playing in game five? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor, not in the meetings, not, you're not? in the evaluations. Yeah, so I don't – I mean, I don't know. If he's cleared, like, you're not going to be able to keep Alex Crusoe off the court. So, yeah, he should play um, if, if he's able, if he's healthy. Obviously, I wouldn't take a risk with anything at this point because I don't – candidly, I don't think him playing or not playing makes a huge difference in the outcome of even Game 5, much less the series at large. But, you know, one thing I've respected about the way this regime has conducted business is they play it out. You know, they don't – they when they had their playoff seating locked in – or sorry, when they – towards the end of the regular season, even after they had their playoff seating locked in, they didn't just throw games necessarily. They didn't tank to get a, a higher position in the in the – or better odds in the draft lottery last year. Like, they're not just going to sit guys out. Like, it's, there's, a, there's a culture aspect to it um, that I think if he's healthy enough to play – is probably what they're going to prioritize. And I think that's fair. Um, So I don't know that I'm expecting him to play though, because concussion protocol is a serious thing. It takes multiple days to go through. It takes a lot of tests and stuff. 
And if he's banged up, I mean, if there's even the slightest risk, I don't, I don't think you mess with it, especially with a head injury, especially with a guy like Caruso who flies around uh, and, and, you know, gets banged up as much as he does. Um, but if he's able to, I, I would expect him to and wouldn't really have a problem with it. Yeah, I mean, the two off days might buy them sometime, but you're right, there are a series of tests you have to go through. We obviously don't know the severity of the concussion. So let's play out the speculation game, though, Tony, and, and assume let's just guess that he's not able to go in Game 5. Uh, who plays more, Ayo Sumu or Kobe White in Game 5? Uh, I think the, the pick of Alex Caruso is kind of like a tip uh, for what's going on. I mean – their offense is their offense. Uh, they're not changing it. It is what it is. It flows through Zach and DeMar. And then, you know, Vooch will get the residuals. Then everybody else kind of has to, you know, fall in line. Um, they don't really have a true point guard in that sense. So I think they're going to – I think he's going to go defense. And I think Io gets the start. Um, it's, it's They got to try and attempt to stop the bleeding – you know, defensively, and their best chance of doing that is with Io starting. Uh, and again, like it's not going to really matter in terms of you know the results, in my opinion. I think, uh, but defensively, they they got to do something. They got to put up something, even if it's you know toilet tissue. They got to put put it up um, as, as a, a defense mechanism. So I think they go Io. Yeah, I would agree with you, especially given uh, how Io played in Game Four. He hit those two big threes and kind of gave you some steadying minutes in those in that third quarter when Alex first went out. And look, I mean, there's no other way to slice it. We've I've personally been a pretty big uh, Kobe White defender and backer throughout a lot of these uh, podcasts and stuff. And uh, he just hasn't played well this series. There's there's no sugarcoating. I don't have any stats in front of me, unfortunately, right now, but. Um, Rob does, as usual. Go ahead, Rob. Uh, four sixteen from three, 25%, uh, yeah. which is uh, exactly the opposite of what the Bulls needed from Kobe White. In this yeah. Season. And, and, uh, going into the series that we discussed, yes. that he hadn't yeah. played well against the, the Bucks. They like to give up threes, you know, defensively and force you to make them. And, you know, that was Kobe's thing. And he hasn't been making them, so. Yeah, and we, we, we spelled that out pretty clearly before the series. Uh, in fact, we said that he would be hugely important to this series and would play more than Aldo because of that skill. Um, and he early on was playing a lot more than Aldo and actually played well in game one. But since then, he's really yeah. just been a disappointing non-factor. Yeah, um, Billy, Billy, uh, Billy pulled the plug on that after what? I think it was three minutes in the first quarter of game four. And I, I don't think Kobe would have come back if, uh, if Caruso hadn't been hurt because – Io started the second half for Caruso and uh, you know, Kobe didn't get back in after leaving in the first quarter until midway through the third quarter. And it was kind of, you know, the guard, the guard room was just thin um, at that point, but yeah, it, it hasn't, it hasn't been a good um, first playoff series for Kobe, especially relative to what the bulls needed for him. For well, him. not to, not to pile on, but when you say he pulled the plug on him after that first quarter stint, I mean, I, that was no other way to shirt, paint, paint it. That was a painful dis, yeah. uh rotational turn by by Kobe I mean it was unforced errors turnovers he slipped and fell at one point it was it was tough to watch he's 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 a good player he's shown Mm -hmm. that ability many times and he has just struggled in this series all right so let's move on to the other I guess news story if if you're not watching on YouTube I'm putting quotes (laughs) around news story Uh, apparently there's a huge uh uh Twitter debate uh and it's actually entered the mainstream because uh, Billy Donovan was asked about it in his uh, Zoom media availability session today. And it's one of the rare times, uh, not to pat Rob and I on the back 
here too much, but Rob and I are very conscientious cross T dot I B writers. And Rob and I both were completely oblivious to this <laughs> development until today when I was first asked about it on the Mully and Haw show on the score. And um, then Rob caught up to it. And then Billy was asked about it um, in his media veil. And Tony has flaming hot takes. How do we do the emojis now? Uh, <laughs> But here's the story. Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan left the Bulls bench and headed into the player's tunnel with 12.1 seconds left in game four. Uh, if you do the play-by-play, uh, Troy Brown Jr. missed the last shot of the game, which the Bucks rebounded with 36.1 seconds left. They dribbled out the clock for a 24-second violation, placing the clock at 12.1 seconds left. That's when DeMar and Zach decided to leave and walk to the locker room. And – People have issues with this. I, again, no pre-pod planning. Apparently, Tony is one of the people that has an issue with this. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The floor is oh, yours, Tony yeah. Gill. <laughs> um, first of all, it's probably my fault. I usually am in communication with you guys during games. Um, and I, I didn't want to, because I know, like, you guys were doing your thing. I was like, well... I didn't. I don't know why I didn't te- text that. I text literally text you guys everything that I see on the on the television. Um, but for some reason, I didn't do it this one th- for this time. So again, I apologize. I would have informed you guys on the situation, so you guys would have been prepared and post game stuff like that. So first of all, I take the blame for that. All right. Second of all, um, when I saw that, I I was pretty livid because this was supposed to be a different, you know thing this is supposed to be a different regime a new era um in Bulls basketball and what it felt like was the three alpha situation where you have the main guys separating themselves even in that moment uh from the rest of the team and I get it in the grand scheme of things they were heading to the locker room anyway they had the loss it was fine but optics wise it did not look good and, and again, I'm not in that locker room. You guys are closer to that locker room than I am. Um, but again, we are in. We don't aren't a part of those conversations that they have together as a team. But optics wise, it felt like Jimmy and Dwayne. That's that's what it felt like in in the public eye. It felt like those two, the two best players on their team, was essentially saying it wasn't us. It's not our fault. You know, it, it's not our fault that we got drubbed two games in a row at home. And that's what it felt like, taking off the, the sleeves, wrist, the, the bands, heading into the locker room alone, while the rest of the team, the rest of the team and the coaching staff is still out there to that final buzzer. Look, it hurts. It sucks that you got dubbed up twice. It sucks. Mm-hmm. I get that. But the rest of the team is out there. If you, if, you, if you wanted to leave, just tell the other guys. Tell other guys, like, hey, let's go. Let's go. We don't need to. Like, no, the rest of the team and the coaching staff is out there, and you expect more from the leadership of your team um, and optics wise. So yeah, I get it. It meant nothing in terms of the grand scheme of what was going on in the basketball court. They had no control over what was going on. They were out of the game. They weren't going back in a hundred percent get that. But from the two best players and your two leaders on the team, you just want them to rally the troops at some point. I know it's an uphill battle. You're probably not going to win the series. But you gotta leave a lasting impression on the uh, impression on the rest of the group that's gonna be there next year. Like, I mean, if I was a rookie, I'd be like, "Where y'all going? Like, what am I supposed to do? Do I do I go with the cool guys, <laughs> or do I do I stick yeah. with the coach and, and the team? Like, 
it, it, it just felt really weird watching that. And it felt weird because considering what I thought about those two specifically, I thought they had that relationship with, with this team. Um, and they still have, again, I don't know. But it felt like it, it felt really, really bad coming from, from those two. Rob, before I kick it to you, uh, first of all, uh, Tony, you you introducing the Dwayne and Jimmy angle is one I had not thought of, and I will say is a pretty eloquent point. You're still wrong, but <laughs> it was a pretty, pretty eloquent point. But no, I uh, no that that's that, that's one I had not thought of, um, and I we should also uh, put in the context that uh, Sam Mitchell, who obviously coached Zach in, in Minnesota, is very close to him, and then also I guess on NBA TV. Um, said he's close to tomorrow. I'm not sure where that relationship is developed. Um, was also very irate and upset about it. I, for context, and then I'm going to kick it to you, Rob, I'm going to point out that neither DeMar or Zach was asked about it in the post-game press conference. Yeah. Um, again, I was not aware of it, or I maybe would have asked it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, you get, you guys are there. Like, it would have been – it was on. It was specifically on television, so you, the, I would understand the beat writers not getting it in that moment, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we we pay attention to so much. We pay attention yeah. to Twitter. We're juggling 10 balls usually. And I, this is what I said on Mullion Hall this morning. Like, this is one of the rare times you're bringing up something that I have absolutely no knowledge of what you're talking about. I usually pride myself on knowing every little nuance of the beat. <laughs> I had no idea about it. But the last thing I'll say is, as you know, and I, Tony, you, I'm not saying you did this because you, mm-hmm. you, you left this open-ended. Um, we don't know what was said. Maybe they went – to the back, the end of the tunnel before mm-hmm. the locker room, and then greeted every player as they walked off the court, saying, "Hey, let's go get them in Game Five. Mm-hmm. We don't know, so there has, w- without making sweeping grand statements, we need the, the full picture. And quite frankly, it's never going to get told because I'm not certainly going to be asking on this on an off day before Game Five because to me the story's going to be dead by then. Rob, you go now. Uh, I mean, I don't have a ton to add. I think the context of, yeah, the as the beat core, we sit on the opposite end of the court. And I think a lot of us were probably writing, walking off to the media tunnel, you know, a couple seconds early. Oh, God, don't don't kill us for that. Um, you know, we're locked in. We're, we're locked in trust us. Uh, but, yeah, the, I mean, I, I mean, certainly if I'd known about it, I would have asked about it. I think because the thrust of my comment is going to be that I totally empathize with the perspective Tony is sharing. I didn't personally have much you know emotion towards it when i did see it today mm-hmm. until you introduced that perspective tony and i'm like oh yeah that is that is optically a little weird um that, that, that i that wouldn't make me feel good as a fan either uh but i don't want to go too deep killing either of them because they mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to respond to it and I, exactly because yeah. if you do you do ask him you you i mean you give them the opportunity to say hey well you know we were we were talking to our teammates and pumping them up in the locker room. I mean, these guys have been leaders all season and that's kind yeah. of been their MO, but no, it's, it's, it, it's, just, it is, it is a story certainly for a podcast. It's something that's and honestly, about. No. And, and honestly, it is, it is a whiff by us that we uh, didn't see it and ask about it. Cause it would have been, it, it, it was, it, it, to me, it was newsworthy enough to ask about. And I regret not uh, being able to do that, but yeah, I mean, like, like Casey, I mentioned to Rob before we started recording, before you jumped in, that like it's specifically for Zach, who the cameras have caught him reacting to things, um, you know, boiling era. Like he's been caught on TV, like physically expressing how he felt um, without even saying anything. And he was asked about it, you know, before. So this mm-hmm. has come up with him with the optics of what is he doing on the bench? What, you know, because he's a star player. Like the cameras are going to follow the star players. So, 
for this to come up kind of again, it's, it's like, look, hey, man, you know that you, you're the two best players on the Bulls team left the game before the buzzer went off. Of course the cameras are going to follow you guys. Yeah. You don't think they, they you think they're gonna know they're not gonna notice? Did so, did, and, did 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 did, he, did uh, Pash and Hubie Brown bring it up on the broadcast? I, I'm not even aware if they did. I usually kind of watch it on mute because I'm usually watching with family, so I didn't yeah. I didn't hear it. I just saw it in the moment. I'm like, where are they going? Like, I, I thought somebody was hurt. Like, I, I literally thought somebody was like going to like the training room or something. But no, they were just kind of done with the whole kind of thing. That and I get it. Like, you had a poor outing. It sucks, but how how are you supposed to you know you know learn from that? Just and here's and here's he, here's the other thing I would add, and then maybe we could we could pivot because we've been on this for a while. Drew Stevens, uh, who's, who's a really great follow on Bulls Twitter, pointed this out: the the dichotomy between that Zach Demar image and honestly, winning is different than losing. So like, you're obviously going to act different in victory than you would in defeat. Like I'm not going to act like there's not a difference between those two things. And this is something that I can even add to a little bit of perspective because it's noticeable because um, the Bucks bench is closer to us. Like Giannis in a blowout win is out on the court, dapping up his guys. He's up. He's like, and obviously it's his brother, Thanasis. Mm. He got that dunk on Patrick Williams in game three. Giannis is like the first dude off the bench, you know, hyping him up, like doing stuff like that. So that's where, again, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to kill Zach and Tamar until maybe we hear them respond mm. to it or, or are able to address it. Um, but I completely understand from a fan perspective how optically that makes you know it just it just doesn't it doesn't feel good to to see. Um, so you know, you said we're gonna you're still gonna pivot, but I have one last thing to say. Uh, yeah. If you look if, again, the the play by play, especially since we're, we didn't ask him about it, so that's on yeah. us. But the play by play is telling because, as I said, Tony Brown or Tony Brown, Troy Brown Jr. missed the last shot with 36.1 seconds left, so they stood on the bench. The entire 24-second possession where the Bucks dribbled out the clock. Mm-hmm. And then when the Bulls inbound it, they turned in and started walking away because it's the Bulls are going to do the same thing. I mean, it's like, you know, maybe if it with 36 seconds left, I'd have more of an issue with it. But whatever. Mm-hmm. All right. We need to move on. Yeah. That was a beatdown this weekend. I think um, now that it's happened, we can kind of say – Oh, look at us. You know, we were expecting that, but we've been all over the map on this series. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the Bulls certainly provided hope with the way they played up in Milwaukee, particularly the way they defended. And the Bucks just did not look good or play well. Uh, you know, I joke with Rob yesterday, like you can um, look, you know, they look to us for analysis and hot takes and breakdowns. And really, you could end this podcast by saying the bucks are better. Good night, everybody. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's to me is simply what this weekend was about is the bucks. Remember the, the defending NBA champions, Bobby Portis stepped in for the injured Chris Middleton and looked fantastic. And Grace Allen started hitting a lot of shots and uh, drew holiday stopped turning the ball over. I mean, the bucks are the better team. And uh, I don't know if we can get into certainly some offensive numbers. Cause I know Rob's working on a piece about that and they're gruesome. But uh, overall, what was your takeaway from from the weekend's festivities, Rob? Yeah, kind of similar, Casey. Like, I know everyone wants to kill Billy for not, quote-unquote, making adjustments, wants to kill the iso ball style. Bulls actually moved the ball pretty well, I thought, uh, especially in game four. 27 assists on 35, made field goals, and had a couple moments in the first half where they kind of weathered Bucks runs. To me, it's exactly like you said. I mean, I actually am kind of a little, uh, you know, regretting having as much of an open mind as I did after game two. Um, Like the Bulls had 
you could argue outplayed the Bucks through the first two games of the series, but it's just clear that Milwaukee had another gear to go to. And it's kind of interesting that it happened after the Middleton injury. I actually, I'm not, I'm not going to totally hot take and say that the Bucks are better without Chris Middleton. Um, that would be especially <laughs> wild for me to say as the leader of the Chris Middleton fan club. But it is, it does seem like the injury in a weird way kind of simplified things for them. They ran a lot more through, they're running a lot more through Giannis. Grayson Allen, I mean, there are numbers that back this up from the regular season that he, you know, plays much better, produces much more when Chris Middleton is out of the lineup. He's kind of in those floor spacing spots that Chris Middleton is in. He's obviously been hitting his shots. Um, and Drew Holiday's played much better the last uh, the, the last two games. And the 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 Portis uh, inserting him into the starting lineup adjustment by Budenholzer was kind of a masterstroke. I mean, I didn't expect it. I thought he was going to go with Connaughton or Allen. Uh, to to have some shooting or, you know, not that Bobby Portis can't shoot, but have a little bit more, you know, volume, you know, reliable volume shooting out there. Um, but he really cut against the grain of the Bulls playing a little bit smaller. And they've really dictated terms the last two games. Like everything that they do to heavily shift and wall off drives and pack the paint, stuff that we've been talking about on this podcast for weeks, uh, is really, really that much more devastating with, you know, Portis's size and length out there. He also you know, was just killing the DeMar matchup uh, at the offensive end, going at him in the post, shooting over the top of him. Um, so it's 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 really a credit to the Bucks for, like you said, Casey, kind of remembering who they were, you know, shifting into another gear, making necessary adjustments. And for the Bulls, you know, I know offensively it's been ugly. Uh, like you said, Casey, you had the stat on, on Twitter this morning as we're recording um, that the Bulls, uh, what, what was it, a 94.2 offensive rating for the series. It's almost 10 points worse than the next uh, lowest team, which is Atlanta. Um, dead last among playoff teams, obviously. Uh, Bulls also, I was looking into it a little bit, the last in field goal percentage, last in three-point percentage, last in points in the paint among playoff teams through four games. The sample size obviously makes these things look a lot worse than they actually are. But again, to me, like this is what I kind of expected coming into the series because of the way Milwaukee defends. They're not going to let you score inside consistently. They're going to push you out to the three-point line, even in the in-between area, the mid-range area. You know, the way they've been shading DeMar and Zach, forcing them left, like it's made life difficult on them. And frankly, like just the more the series goes on, it's it's a kind of a math problem. And I just don't think the Bulls have the horses. They just don't have the firepower. To me, it's a roster issue where their rotation is what? Zach, DeMar, Vooch. Every other game is a good pack game. Caruso, um, Kobe, Io's been pretty much out of the rotation. Derek Jones Jr., fine. Not really much of an offensive threat. Uh, Kobe's been off all series, like, you look at it and it's like, oh, they, they kind of go five deep right now, rotation wise. And the Bucks, their depth has really, you know, that advantage has really showed up over the course of the series. I think they have 86, if I'm remembering my math correctly, so 87 bench points between the two Chicago games. Obviously, Grayson Allen is is uh, the boon of a lot of that. But um, to me, it, it just crystallizes and we're not done with the series yet. We're not done with the season yet, but it just crystallizes that the Bulls have a lot of work to do this offseason, particularly adding mm-hmm. shooters. Um, to be able to hang with this class of team. And it's going to be, it's just going to be hard for me to put the blame on one player or the coach or the coaching staff when roster wise, they're just not equipped to hang with this Milwaukee team. I, maybe I'm apologizing for people, but that's just kind of how I saw these last two games, which were, you know, there were moments of competitiveness, I guess, but were for the most part, pretty demoralizing blowouts. Also, you said you weren't going to go full uh, hot take and say the Bucks are better with Bobby Portis and Chris Middleton. I will say the Bucks are better with Bobby, Bobby Portis than the Chris Middleton we saw in games one and two sure. <laughs> because he was <laughs> awful. Hey, and now, <laughs> hey, and now his uh, 
you know, on, his on-off numbers are in shambles now. So, <laughs> just, so you're, gonna have to, you're gonna have to work a little bit harder as the president of the Chris Middleton fan club. So. We'll rec- well, let's let's. I might have to reconvene next season on the Chris. All right, uh, Tony. What were your t- uh, takeaways from uh, what happened at the United Center over the weekend? Um, is disappointing because he thought you see more fight. Uh, we didn't see any fight until at the end of the game where Zach and Bobby got into a little tussle that was about as much of a you know a fight that you've seen um and uh especially at home right i mean this is this is what this whole thing has been about right they got two home playoff games like the first time in a long time um and the first time for this grouping uh and this is this is what it was all about how are you going to perform on that stage in front of those fans who have been supporting all season um and in both games, it kind of quickly dissipated. Um, they're just far away, yeah, from you know any championship aspirations. Um, and that was that became you know obvious <laughs> that that look it it's it's gonna take a lot more for them to get where they want to be in terms of a, a championship, and um, they don't have a whole lot of time to do it, like. You know, what they've been growing in Milwaukee, that's like, you know, seven, eight years uh, of Giannis hitting and missing, hitting and missing until he figures it out as a player. Um, considering where they're at in terms of, you know, financial, and again, we're just talking about these series, um, they're going to need to figure this out. They're going to need to figure this out in the next, you know, two years, two or three years with this with this pairing, uh, with this grouping. Um, and it's, it's a little bit disappointing. But, you know, we'll talk about that later on. But in terms of just the game, just visually, how teams both operated, took care of the ball or not, um, played defense or not, um, offensively, how the ball moved or not. It was just a complete separation of what a championship team looks like um, and what a growing one or in its infancy uh, looks like. So, um, you know, you, you hope that they bring the fight in, in the next game in game five. Um, it's going to be tough to see that considering that the guy that was, you know, behind the, the push for fight, uh, was Alex Caruso. And we don't know if he's going to, mm-hmm. you know, play or not. Uh, but you know, hopefully that, you know, I'm not expecting them to win, but I mean, go out with a bang, you know, like play like it's your last game because it very well might be. And that's, that's kind of what I want to see going to his next game. Can I, can I add something to Tony? Cause just cause you mentioned the, the home dynamic, mm-hmm. not a Bulls fan. I didn't grow up a Bulls fan, but I try to come at this job with the fan perspective. Cause that's who we're the conduits for when, mm-hmm. when we're at games and, and talking to people, et cetera. It was, it was pretty disappointing. The uh, contrast between, Man, like the electricity in the UC on Friday pregame, mm-hmm. the iconic lineup intro comes out, and like I said, I'm not even a fan. Like I had goosebumps. I'm not kidding. Yeah, I'm, I'm not you even like, on television. To, I'm not even trying to pander by saying that. Like the building was loud. They had the pyrotechnics. They had flames coming <laughs> up right above press row. The serious song, like everything, was kind of building. And with the series tied one one, I don't know. Like even if they lost that game, there was a there was a, from a volume perspective, just from an energy perspective, there was a momentous feeling to it. First playoff mm-hmm. game in five years, et cetera. And it took about 10 minutes. And 
all the life was gone. And it was just, I just really felt for all the fans that were there. It was just a bummer. And, and then that game specifically, the 30 point loss, people are filtering to the exits by the fourth quarter because, and I don't blame the bulls for this, but they were down by so much and you got to save guys for the noon tip on Sunday. So they basically waved the white flag at the start of the fourth quarter. Um, Game four on Sunday, noon tip, same thing. The electric, it was, it was absolutely electric, you know, pregame introductions, first couple possessions, bulls hung around in the first quarter. And then over the course, you know, it's just it, it, when you say the word deflating, like you could really feel that in the building um, over the course of those games. Uh, so what, what did they end up? Minus 54 in the two home games of this series um, after being so good at home all season. Just e- even from someone who's not super invested, you know, from an emotional perspective in wins and losses, it was just kind of it, it was disappointing because you saw it was almost like a microcosm. Like you saw so much of what it could be. And then reality hit pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. Like. If you guys remember, like earlier in the season, right when they were on that hot streak, and it 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 began to last with this team, like I mentioned, like considering what what the team was like, you know, uh, the year prior, two years prior, I said like this team is gonna fight until they can't anymore, and it felt good having a team that if they get down early, you know, in that second half that they're gonna bring it. They didn't do that these last two games and it was disappointing because I thought at least that problem was fixed. Right. Like when before years prior, they were down, that was the end of it. But this year they changed that part. And that's a part of the culture growing is like, look, no matter what happens in that first half, even if we lose, we're going to keep clawing and scratching because that's all we got. We're not going to be more talented than the top teams. So we got to use what we got. And it's got to be that hustle. It's got to be that fight that they had earlier in the season. And it just seems like it got beaten out of them. Yeah, I I slightly disagree on game four because yeah, I, I, thought thought, they, I thought I actually thought they played well. At last I thought they weathered a couple storms in the first half of game four. They didn't shoot well. They, I, they thought they, I thought they moved the ball well. I thought their competitiveness was better. I thought their execution was better. I thought the Bucks were just like just a better a better team. I thought the Bull, I thought the Bulls played pretty well in game four. Yeah, that's that's the game that crystallized like okay just different leagues. And, and not that I didn't know that already from the regular season matchups and stuff. And obviously I picked bucks and five, like you don't make that series prediction if you don't think that these two teams are in different classes, but yeah, I, I thought game four, like Billy even said it post game. And I'm, that's not to say that I'm going to just blindly agree with everything Billy says, but he, I, I did agree with him on this where he just said, you know, it felt like they would, you know, defend their tails off for certain possessions and it would end with a bucks make anyway. Um, they would, you know, the bulls would work hard and generate, Good shots on the other end. Billy mentioned this. Um, I was asking him about the shooting uh, at his availability today. He mentioned that, the, and it's uh, I didn't. I actually didn't even notice the stat until he said it. The Bulls generated 19 corner threes in Game Four. Like those are the exact shots that you want, especially for a not great three point shooting team. Like those are the easiest looks to get. They shot five and 19. Um, you know, and this is where I'm like, I don't feel like the offensive process. Like I feel like some of the shots that they've gotten have been good enough, but the roster just needs to be reworked again like that to me it's it, there's just a, there's a talent gap that is that is that was always going to be insurmountable uh but really 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 felt like it in, in game four especially well one thing tony said uh, a couple uh points ago that i has been a consistent theme for this ser- from this series and i agree with it is that you know you can see that the bucks have been through a lot together this mm-hmm. core you know you, you mentioned the you know Giannis going through some trials and tribulations and now being you know one of the best players in the world you know, they, they've won a playoff series with Giannis Hurt, you know, and now the Middleton injury happens and they just don't miss a beat with Porter's going in. So, you know, 
you've heard this from Billy all season, but I do agree with it. This is the first time this 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 team and this core has played together. And, you know, maybe we can say this for the, the pod. We're probably going to be taping on Thursday if the Bulls do indeed lose game five. But when you do step back for perspective, that we do have to remember that this this franchise did make some steps forward this season. It just doesn't feel like it right now. But we're going to save that for the offseason discussion. Uh, uh, and uh, we'll see if that happens as early as um, following game five. Rob and I will be in Milwaukee bringing you the coverage again for game five. Any loose ends to tie up, gents, before we get up on out of here? See you, right. see, see you game five. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Bulls Talk podcast, and we will be back with a fresh one following game five Wednesday night in Milwaukee. We hope you enjoyed the Bulls Talk podcast. Find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Subscribe if you like the show. Feel free to rate and review us. New episodes are ready every Tuesday and Friday morning.